as well as to go to God's Word. And, and this sermon will be a little different than a lot of mine, but it was inspired by Jody and Lane, and that alone should scare you. Um, but uh, they, they were doing a, a thing uh, not long ago in their second look, if you have ever watched that, and, uh, and it was about numbers in the Bible. And so, uh, so I got to think about this idea the other day about the number one. And this sermon is going to drive Matt Wicks nuts, uh, without a doubt, uh, because of the way I'm going to use the number one. Now, I've always been pretty good with numbers. Like, I don't do crossword puzzles. My dad does all those crossword puzzles. I do Sudoku. I mean, that's just me. And I just, I love to do the extreme. Sometimes it takes me a week or two, but I still love to do the extreme. And growing up, I was taught very simple math that one times one equals one. Got that right, right? Okay, so far I got 100%. Now, here's the problem that I had uh, as, you know, I, I am a little bit of CDO. That's OCD with the numbers in order, and, um, or the letters in order. I couldn't figure out why they needed three ones to get a one. I mean, that just didn't make sense as they're trying to teach this to me. So I have this great daughter who I was going to take some proof about one, and my daughter, Courtney, uh, has a Ph.D. in analytical research and is a professor. She teaches statistics at the University of Colorado in Denver. And I asked her, I said, what comes to mind statistically when you hear the number one? And her answer was perfect for me. I mean, it just fit right into the lesson. And here's her answer. The first thing that comes to mind is probability which is a probability of one, and that means there is a 100% probability of something happening, which isn't supposed to be real because that would be a fact, not a statistic. Oh, I like that, okay? It's a fact, not a statistic. Or a correlation of one means it's a perfect correlation, which is highly unusual, as then you're really measuring the same thing. All right, now, some of you may get that, some of you may not, some of you have already gone to sleep, some of you, whatever it might be, it's okay. But this morning, we are going to explore in the scriptures the number one, because I think it's fascinating. I got to thinking about this, and, and, I, and if you have another idea other than the one that I, I, or the ones that I'm going to be sharing with you, I'd like you to share them with me, okay? The things in the scripture pertaining to the number one and how these things uh, all add up together in our faith and all that. But man, mathematically, none of these add up to one. That's the interesting thing about how God uses one in the scriptures. None of them, none of them add up to one of the things that we're going to talk about. Nor are these facts a statistic because as my daughter has taught me, they're real. These are not things that are just made up. They're not things that we just have to simply take by faith, even though in a sense we do. Nor are they measured by any standard that you can find. Uh, you can't go to Matt and say, okay, what standard does this come up with? You know, my, my son is into computers. you got almost as many monitors in here as he has in his living room, okay? And, and he does the, you know, the, the 1.1.0.1, you know, and all that stuff that, that computer analysts use and all that. But none of these are things that are found in the Word because these are all found in the Word of God, and the world doesn't like them. That's the truth of the matter. Uh, the world does not like the way these things add up to one. 
but they are spiritual facts that are given to us in the Word of God. So one fact is very clear in Scripture, and this is very, very important for the rest of this lesson. You cannot divide one in the Scriptures. And so I'm going to let the Word of God speak a lot in this lesson. We're going to look at a lot of, of, of uh, verses that are, are very familiar to them. In fact, as Christians, they're very familiar to all of us, but it's a reinforcement of what we need to hear. It all begins even before all things began in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Again, you're familiar when God says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And as we go through Scripture, and as we, we go back to this one and tie the other Scriptures together, we understand how God reveals more and more and more of himself in the Word of God. And we understand the characteristics now, and we see a progression of this, especially as Jesus comes along and teaches us more, as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we see God in these three characteristics, and yet we know without a doubt the three are one. Isn't that true? All three add up to one. And that's a spiritual fact. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. For even if there are so-called gods, like the world would say there's far more than one God, even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as in indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, for whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, for whom all things came and through whom we live. And then Ephesians 4, very familiar with this verse, very important to keep this verse in mind uh, as we go through this. In verse 3 through 6, make every effort, and, and I love what Jody said about this earlier, make every effort to keep, he prayed this, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one God, and He's the Father. He's over everything. He created everything. We know that. There is one Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our Lord and Savior came and He offered the one perfect sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can take away our sins, the only sacrifice where we can accept it follow it and live for it and have Jesus as our one Lord and stand before God somehow justified. And there is only one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit was somehow given to us when we were baptized into Christ, we are raised up out of the water, and now we have this Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit guides us. One of the things we know is that, that, that Jesus, uh, or that God is on His throne, and that He sits on His throne, that Jesus ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of God. But the Holy Spirit came and there's no evidence in Scripture that he ever left. So he's still here. And he's still working within us unless we quench him, unless we stop him from working. He's still working within us. And, and he is the one who helps us to realize the presence of God in our life. And how God is working in our life. And, and the ways that we turn ourselves over to God. Now notice there's a connection between the one church and the one God. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each belongs to all the others. And it's so vital that we remember that within the, within the Lord's church that you are here and that God has placed you here and that God wants you here because He needs you. He needs you for who you are. He needs you with your gifts, with your abilities. He needs you with, with the, your strengths and your, your gifts, whatever those gifts are. And He needs you to, to, to bring and to bond the, the body of Christ together and to help the body of Christ grow and to help the body of Christ worship and, and to help us all to, together to be what God has called us to be. But if you're not doing your part, then we know that the body doesn't function the way that it does or, or it should, that God intended for it. And he uses the illustration of the human body in 1 Corinthians 12. And you're familiar with these. I know you are. Starting in verse 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And through, though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. And then verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. My wife and I have been... You ever gotten older? Anybody in here besides... I shouldn't pick on my wife, but we're getting older. And there are certain parts of my body that I didn't know I had. And now I do because they hurt. Morning. Morning. Just getting up in the morning. And now it's, it's worse. So w- the other day we went out and bought a new mattress. Okay? Because these things are supposed to help you not hurt. Okay? I'm in more pain now. You know, not just in my wallet. It's just more pain now. But my wife feels great. So I, we haven't figured out what to do. But isn't it true that that you don't want to be recognized as a part of the body of Christ when you're causing pain. You want to be a part of the body of Christ that helps the body to function and to go the way, the, the way that it should. Colossians 3 verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Have that peace within you, the peace that you have with God because of Jesus Christ, the peace that you have with one another. And, and, and if we, we'll talk a little bit about this briefly in, in a minute, but the peace that we need to have within the world. But the truth is that believers worldwide, they're not unified. They don't have that unity that we prayed about. And, and the church as we know it, and, and as we can understand it from the scriptures, the church is not one. And Jesus prayed for it to be one. The apostles taught us that we should be one. But it begins with with the struggles that we might have with one another, with a brother or sister in Christ. Because here we go, we're back to that part about the body where we're different. And every now and then we have a struggle with somebody just because they're different. And whenever you have the struggle with, with that one, then as the math shows up here, the one minus one creates two because you no longer have one body. You actually have two. You have two separate bodies that are trying to worship God. And it's, it's created, 
Last I heard, thousands probably uh, of different groups of believers that, that, that say they worship the same one God and the same one Lord and the same one Spirit, and yet they're divided so much. And we can have this division because if you have a division just with one brother or sister, it means that the two are no longer one. And when you divide one, you have two or three or more. If you have your Bibles, you can, you can turn over to Matthew 18. We're going to look at, at quite a bit of a progression through this. It won't, won't be too long. Uh, you know, Jody told me uh, I had from 9 to 11. Was that right? Or was that 9 and 11? I didn't get the math right. Okay. Huh? 9 and. Oh, okay. If you're subject to the invitation, please come. Um, <laughs> So, but in Matthew chapter 18, there's this great progression. And, 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 and part of it I really didn't put together until I put the sermon together because I thought this is really good. Because you want to move from, from being a whole, too often we, we move from being a whole to being a, a, a fraction. And, and the fraction doesn't add up to one. But in Matthew chapter 18, he starts in verse 12 with this. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. The great thing about this is the hundred or one. I mean, that's the flock, the hundred or one. But if one wanders off, then you have 99 in one. You, you don't have one. You have 99 in one. And, and so somehow or another, one is lost. And, and Jesus says it's not right. In the account in Luke, he says, there is more rejoicing in, in, in heaven, in the presence of the angels in heaven, about the one who comes back or the one that is found with the, the coin in um, the prodigal son, the one that comes back, there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven for that one that came back and made the whole one. And, and the presence of the angel in heaven is it's God who's rejoicing. God rejoices when we come together. And we're going to see how Jesus fits in with this as well. So verse 15, right after this, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, you know the progression of this, and you know Matthew 18, and you're familiar with it. But you and your brother and sister in Christ are one. And we feel that, don't we? Until all of a sudden something divides us. Something gets between us. And when it does, we're no longer one. We're no longer one body. And more often than not, what happens with that is we draw somebody else along with us to go you know, take our opinion or to take our side, whatever it might be. And, and then, then we have more and more of a division. And what we're ha doing when we do that is we're sinning against the body of Christ. And, and we've got to work on that. But notice what happens, this is more important, okay? Well, it, it, this is what we want to see. Notice what happens when we come together as one. And, and I, I read something uh, this week about this, gave me another perspective on it. But this is my take on this, all right? This is, this is the, a, a different take than, than a lot of people have. Or, but in verse 19, we're going to drop down to verse 19 to 20. Where Jesus says, again, I tell you that if two or three of you 
on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. And this is what I think Jesus is saying, okay, in the context of this. And that is, if you and your brother or sister have a problem, and you go to that brother or sister who has the problem, and you two come together, and, and you know, you can, you can look at this as just shaking hands, you're back together. I know you can't shake hands, okay? Can't hug. Okay, you, you tap elbows and you're together, right? And Jesus says, I'm right there with you. See, the two are now one, but they're also one with Christ. They've come together with Christ. And that's what Jesus is wanting us to do. He doesn't want us to be separated. He wants us to forgive. He wants us to confront sin when we have to confront sin. But He wants us in the end to come together. And then notice right after this, in Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or you can have the, I like the one better that's seven times 70. Or, you know, whatever it might be. It just keeps on going. You keep on forgiving. You don't, you, you don't uh, keep count. You, don't, you just forgive. I don't want... God to look at me and say, okay, you've got 490 sins and you're done. I don't even want him to come up with what do we got here? 77. You've got 77. And we'll just say of that one specific sin. I don't know what yours is. I know what mine is. That one that I struggle with the most. And, and, and I don't want God to come up to me and say, okay, you got 76 on your record. One more time, you're out of here. Anybody want that? So why should we want that with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Why should we not want to have forgiveness? And why should we not want to come together? I had a lady, I teach some classes, used to teach some classes at nursing homes. And this one lady left after reading this passage. She went and called her sister. She hadn't talked to her in 10 years. And she said, I've got, and this is her physical sister. She said, I've got to make it right with her. And she did. Isn't that a great thing to, to feel? I mean, if you feel like you've got something with somebody or against somebody, go to them. Restore that relationship. And, and it may be one of those. That, another story I heard was about a guy who went to another one. He said, like 40 years ago, they got in an argument. And, and he says, I just want to let you know I forgive you. And he says, what are you talking about? He had no idea what the man was upset about after 40 years. And the point of it was, it may be bugging the daylights out of you, but the one you're mad at doesn't even know that there's a problem. Restore the relationships and come together. Now, another one in scriptures which is getting more and more neglected is the one which is found in marriage. The relationship between the husband and wife. In, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 through 24, But for Adam no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. And the man now said, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. 
for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. There is this one flesh. And those of us who are married understand what God was saying when he said one flesh. There's so many different ways that my wife and I are one together. We're different in a lot of ways, but together we're one. And the idea behind this, I love what Jim McGuigan said about this. I heard him last year talking about this. He said, the idea of this is you are complete together in a way that you can never be by yourself. You bring a completeness to each other. And I love Ecclesiastes 4.12. I use this when I perform marriage ceremonies. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And the idea is if a husband and wife are brought together as one and God is that third strand holding them all together, they they won't break apart. They'll hold together. They'll be strong together. They'll they'll, they'll hold on in the relationship. And marriage relationship needs to be be between a husband, a wife, and God, and then it's not going to easily be broken. But if there's unfaithfulness, the two are no longer one. And at least one of these is no longer one with God. That's a scary thought right there. There's a division there with God. If you have a relationship outside of marriage, then, try to tell this to teenagers, then you're being unfaithful, even if you're not married, even if you're going to get married years from now, you're still being unfaithful to that one that God says you're going to become one with. And there's a special relationship here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So all of a sudden, you're not one with God, you're one with someone else. And you're separating yourself with God. And you need to restore that relationship. Okay, my final one. God created only one race the human race and if you hold any hatred in your heart for others you're sinning against God's greatest creation in Colossians chapter 3 there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian Scythian, slave or free but Christ is all and in all therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Here's the end result. If you choose to live in sin, you are one with the sin. You're no longer one with God. If you choose to hold a grudge against your brother or sister in Christ, you are no longer one body, but you are apart from the body of Christ, therefore apart from Christ. So Luke said, or Jesus says in Luke 6, 
starting verse 37, do not be judged, or do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over and poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, this passage scares me. It's one of those passages that when I read them, the measure you use, it will be used to you. So what can we do if we're no longer one with God? Or what can we do if we're no longer one with the church or one with a brother and sister in Christ or one with a spouse? It really boils down to what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, we can repent. That's the great thing that God has given to us. We can repent. We can change our heart. We can change our action. We can change our mind, our way of thinking. And we need to change those things. We can change our relationship with God for the better in a relationship with one another. There is a one baptism. And that baptism is a baptism into Christ, into His death, burial, and resurrection, into His sacrifice, the sacrifice, again, the one sacrifice that God has accepted for our sins. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 5, 1 through 5 teaches us we're baptized, we're baptized into that death, burial, and resurrection, and we're raised to walk a new life with God. And we're one with God our Father, one with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we've received the gift of the Spirit. So is God the one God of your life? Have you accepted that one sacrifice for your sins by being baptized into His death, burial, and resurrection? Is the Holy Spirit the one guide for your life? The great thing is you only have one decision that you have to make, and that's the decision to be faithful to God. But this also may be the one and only opportunity that you have to make that decision. So make that decision this morning. If you need to come, please come as we stand and sing this song.